Hey, 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 welcome to the podcast. My name is Alex Cora and I am your host. This is where you can find my life and my writings. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite authors of all time, Brandon Sanderson. Here we go. Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings was originally published in 2010, the first novel in a truly gigantic story set in an even bigger world. This series is proposed to be 10 books long. So it's standing the obvious to say that The Way of Kings is quite the undertaking, both for Sanderson to write and for us to read. The Way of Kings, as well as every other book in the series so far, comes in at around 1,000 pages long. I believe Sanderson is quoted saying that a lot of the books fall around the 400,000 word mark. Each book stuffed with as much story as many authors' entire trilogies. What's even more surprising is that this series has become one of the most, if not the most, successful fantasy series out now, with The Way of Kings selling what I heard to be over a million copies. Honestly, it's probably a lot more than that. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this, a lot of factors at play, some of which I'll touch on, some I might not, but there's a big question here that I want to answer. How did Brandon Sanderson convince over 1 million people to forget everything they know and dive into this strange world of Roshar, where the world building goes so deep that as readers, you have to absorb new races, cultures, religions, and creatures, all of them being amazingly fleshed out to a staggering degree. So how did he do it? Obviously, he had a really commercial pitch, right? An explosive opening with gripping emotional weight and character introductions, right? Naturally, Sanderson chose to open the book with three separate prologues, led by three different characters, all of which are not main characters or will not be for quite some time. The success of this book almost doesn't make sense. It makes sense if you have the heart to read it because it is a masterpiece. But from the perspective of someone just picking up the book, knowing little about the author or what to expect, it's hard to believe that it got as popular as it did. So the first reason that I'll touch on is a reason that Brandon himself has addressed. The Stormlight Archive could not have been his debut. His ability to release a book like The Way of Kings, with all of its extensive world building and staggering length, hinged largely on the fact that he had already established himself as an author. Since the Stormlight began, he's achieved success that few authors dare to even dream of. But even before then, he was making a lot of noise on the scene. Brandon had built up enough goodwill among both his publishers and his fan base. This allowed him to reasonably ask them to trust him on this one. I say this because if you're an aspiring author with dreams of debuting with an epic fantasy series that has the length and scope of the Stormlight Archive, I don't want anyone to get the impression that that's a good idea. Sanderson's situation is at least a little unique from the start, but these are all givens. If you're familiar with Sanderson, you know this, but it still required an incredibly special sauce to be able to pull this thing off. So let's take a closer look and see how he did it. Fair warning, I'm going to touch lightly upon the opening events of this book, so spoilers begin here. Though I'll add that they will be incredibly minor. This book and series is so large and expansive that it's really impossible to spoil anything important just by looking into the first couple chapters. So, the book begins with a prelude. I could go in-depth to take this prelude apart in all of its glory, because it really is masterful writing. But this is not an anatomy of an opening, so I'll keep it to broader strokes. So how does the prelude bring the reader in? 
What does it accomplish and what strengths drive us to keep reading? The first thing I'll note is that there is hardly anyone better than Brandon Sanderson, not only at world building, but also at finding subtle and intriguing ways to warm the reader to this complex and unique world and use the reader's knowledge of it to spur us onward. The prelude has a very strong emotional weight. It's entirely character-driven, despite introducing us to characters that we will not see or hear of for quite some time. But what sends the prelude over the top is that it's laser-focused on the human elements of its story. It's jam-packed with world-building information that's deeply important to acquainting you with the world that we're going to be existing within. But he doesn't just throw it in your face. He makes it feel normal. He doesn't stop to explain things, to indulge in long paragraphs or sentences, explaining things, taking the reader out of the action. He finds ways to drop subtle information into the events that are happening, but doesn't hold your hands and stop to explain things. He gives you just enough information to force a question from your mind. He doesn't tell you what things are. He makes you ask what things are. So while we're following our prelude protagonist, Kalak, through a gut-wrenching vignette of a story, we're sort of battered with information that we don't really know what to do with. But Sanderson makes sure that all the info that we're getting sounds fantastical. It emanates colossal weight. Without explaining much, he makes the world sound freaking cool. So it's with this gripping opening prelude that he gets our attention. It doesn't hurt that it's also really short. A perfectly acceptable intro. It focuses on human relatable events. But then we jump 4,500 years into the future. And it's with the next two pieces that things get a little stranger. Because the next part isn't the first chapter, it's the prologue. So we've got a prelude, and now a prologue. Let's examine this one. Right off the bat, we're introduced to a new character named Zeth. We're promised that this passage will up the momentum with the information that Zeth is at this royal party in disguise, and he's got orders to assassinate someone. That's the initial promise that pulls our attention. The promise is incredibly important because immediately after that promise, Sanderson sets the scene with actually a great deal of description and exposition. It's all well written and not too heavy handed, given the amount of information that we as readers actually need, but it's still a lot. First time readers are typically overwhelmed at this point. We don't exactly retain all the world building information and hints that Sanderson is giving here, but that's okay because he's just getting our toes into the water. And later on, he does a phenomenal job of keeping things well explained and reiterating information subtly as the book goes. While the main event of this prologue is an assassination and does make for a point of intrigue, it's not really what carries you on as a reader. This is because we have no real attachment to anything in this story yet. We don't know the characters or understand the politics. So Sanderson does something smart here. He gives us a spectacle that rips our attention. That spectacle is the first and most important magic system of this book. This is what Sanderson is known for. Sanderson is known for his magic systems and he delivers extravagantly here. This is our introduction to Stormlight. Zeth's opening action sequence introduces us to a power called Lashings, as well as the iconic swords of the series called Shard Blades. They don't cut through skin, but through the soul itself, and the eyes of one that is cut smoke and burn out. By easily dispatching two guards in a stunning manner, flying through the air and summoning his blade through seemingly nothing, Sanderson shows us that he's the real deal. 
Known for magic systems and world-building prowess, Sanderson takes his place on the throne with this prologue. Yes, there are elements of a really interesting story here so far, but what really grips our attention is the magic and its implications. By the end of this prologue, we're left with a lot of questions, and we're kind of overwhelmed with information about this world and plot. We don't understand any of it. Which is why the next section, the beginning of our first chapter, is really smart on Sanderson's part. He steps away from the broad view of assassinating kings and focuses in on a smaller story. It's got seemingly normal characters and gives us a break from the barrage of information. When you begin this first chapter, you might find yourself sighing, because at this point you're overwhelmed and confused, and Sanderson has just introduced you to his third viewpoint character so far, named Sin. But this is the first chapter, so it's time to actually find our footing, right? But it won't be in the way that we expect. We're going to get thrown for a loop one more time. Sanderson doesn't let up the pace at all. We're immediately thrown into another battle, but there doesn't seem to be any magic here. Sin is our young and untrained soldier, and he's getting thrown to the front lines of his very first battle. But he was assigned to a new squad at the very last minute, the squad of Kaladin Stormblessed. It's said that his squad loses the fewest soldiers in a fight, and that Kaladin himself is lucky. So an epic battle sequence ensues, mostly watching Kaladin from the eyes of this young boy, Sen. At this point, you might think that Sen is an important character, but he's not. This opening is Sanderson's way of showing you who Kaladin is from someone else's eyes. It's actually Kaladin who's our main viewpoint character here, and Sen is about to die in this battle. Sin is quickly wounded, and when an enemy Shardbearer shows up with full plate and armor, there's not much that anyone can do. The page basically cuts to black, and we're thrown into a scene eight months later. And now we're finally behind the eyes of Kaladin himself. This is where the novel truly begins. The former scene acts in a way that some video games might. Like Nintendo's Metroid Prime, for example. Opening the game with your character in all of her glory. Fully powered and truly awesome to experience, but quickly stripping her of her upgraded suit and making you start the game with minimal tools. This is what Sanderson does to Kaladin. He shows you what the character can be through the eyes of someone else. Kaladin doesn't see himself that way. His prowess in a fight, his compassion, his leadership. These are all important things because after that short opening battle sequence, Kaladin is being brought low. And that's going to be our introduction to the mind of this hero. That's why we needed to see it from someone else's eyes. In the eight months since that battle that we just read about, things have gone truly off the rails for Kaladin and we don't exactly know why. But we won't see the majestic, spear-wielding, fearless leader for quite a while. We're going to spend a lot of time with Slave Kaladin and it will be painful. It was necessary for Sanderson to show us Kaladin from Sen's point of view because he needed us to know that things could get better for Kaladin, that he could be the hero, that he's got something in him worth loving. So begins The Way of Kings. How did Sanderson do it? How did he convince us to buy in? Well, I think I just laid it out. He did it through the meticulous planting of seeds, giving us burning questions and breathtaking spectacles to imagine. A world we've never seen before. That combined with truly masterful writing, and just like that, we're on board for this 10-book series. 
Sanderson utilizes many of the tentpoles of storytelling, while also utilizing his imagination's epic concoctions of magic and superhero-esque action to make the world he's inviting us into feel humongous. There's action, mystery, and the beginning constructions of truly iconic characters, all packed into this complex sequence of introductions, and somehow it all works. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. Be sure to leave a five-star review on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is and subscribe for more content in the future. Episodes go up every single week. I'll talk to you guys in the next one.